This verse amazes me. What he said here to me is, is astounding. It's so simple that it is profound. And the Bible said in verse 24, And when they had crucified him, they parted his raiments, casting lots on them, whatever man should take. Father, we're thankful this morning for the privilege of being in this place on the Lord's day, the day, Father, that you came out from among the dead. Lord, the day that, that, that you, Father, proved without a doubt at all that you were who you said you were, the only begotten Son of God. We're thankful for the power that you exhibited, the plan that you had, the purpose for which you came. And God, my part in that plan, how I praise you for it. And I pray today, God, that we might, we might live in that resurrection power. Paul prayed uh, in his letter to the Philippians that he might know the power of the resurrection. And Father, I want that power today. I need that touch. I need, I need that unction. God, I pray, Lord, that you would make this message real to us. You stirred my heart to it. God, you stopped me here in my reading of the book of Mark last night. Right here is where you stopped me. And I pray, God, that you would stir us and that you would enlighten us and refresh us, God, as we look at an old, old story that ought to be new and real to us today. If there's anybody among us lost to pray that you could victim of their sins, convince them of their need of Jesus, and God, do that work that only you can do a work of making a new creature out of an old one. Save somebody. Reclaim the backslider. Feed your people. But in all of that, glorify your name as we seek to honor you and your Son, our Savior. In the name of Christ, I pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Listen to what the writer Mark said, just like the other writers said, when, when they got to the place called Golgotha, the place of the skull, Calvary, when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John began to write about what transpired that day when the very Son of God gave himself a substitute for sinners like me and you instead of going into some kind of detailed diatribe to explain what crucifixion was. They just simply said, and yet profoundly, and there they crucified him. If you want specifics, if you want facts, if you want gory details, if you want to understand what crucifixion entailed, what it meant, go back to the book of Psalm and read Psalm 22. And you'll find it there explained by the psalmist, a Jew himself that knew nothing in their nation about crucifixion. But since this psalmist David was also a prophet, he wrote with such clarity and specificity about the, the, the crucifixion of Jesus that it's remarkable, it's amazing. Hey, listen, the Word of God must be the Word of God. And here yet, the apostles that were there living in the day that Jesus lived and died and lived again for us, they just simply said, and there they crucified him. No details, no account, no play-by-play, -play, if you'll let me use a, 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 a sports term, no play-by-play -play, a, a communication about it commentator, a commentary about it. They just say that there they crucified him. 
I was seeking God's face, looking at the Word of God. And, and boys, I look into it. I want you to know it looks into me. And I thought, well, Lord, where am I going? Guide my feet in this. And I thought, well, I'll just start reading the gospel according to Mark. And you know what? I read this, and I read that. I was blessed. I was refreshed. I was reminded. I mean to tell you, I had sadness at certain things that are read. I had joy in certain things. And when I came here in the 15th chapter of the book of Mark's gospel, when I got to verse 24, the Lord said, stop right there. Stop right there. Hey, friend, listen. You know what the crucifixion of Christ was? It was the crescendo of his life. It was the pinnacle of his walk in the flesh. It was the very cause and reason for which he appeared. It, it, it was the very thing that moved him to leave glory. And one day where the angels cried, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, uh, where he had the glory of God about him, and uh, the honor of the angels uh, for him, and where he was obeyed. Hey, listen, he wasn't spat upon in glory. They, they, they didn't mock him and scoff him in glory and they didn't disobey him and beat him in glory. They honored him. They praised him. They adored him. They reverenced him. They bowed before him. They obeyed him. And yet, friend, he got up one day, lay aside his robes of glory and entered into the stream of humanity through a virgin's womb. And you know where he was headed? He was headed to a place called Golgotha. He went, through a, he went through a garden called Gethsemane, a wine press where he was pressed without measure. He went to a place called Gabbatha where he was tried by man. He went to Golgotha, entered into a grave, bless God, on his way to glory. And listen, friend, one of these days he's coming back and we need to be ready when he does. For my part, the sooner the better. But boy, if you're lost... I want to pray today even so, Lord Jesus. And he doesn't tarry, but I'm just going to use the words of a song. Tarry just a little longer, Lord Jesus. There's still many still wandering out in sin. But I got to thinking about this, and the Lord began to speak to my heart. This isn't the first time I preached on the crucifixion of Jesus. Again, it's the climactic point of his life. I'll prove to you by the word of God and that he says for this cause and for this hour came I into this world. It wasn't a surprise to him. It wasn't a shock to him. It was a destiny. It was an appointment. It was agreement that he had with his father that he would die for sinners like me and you. Why wouldn't we praise him? Why wouldn't we worship him? Why wouldn't we give him our all and our all? Why do we hold back? Why do we lack the praise and the glory? You know what? Listen, friend. When we enter into this place, we ought to enter into his courts with praise and, or into his gates with praise and his courts with thanksgiving. Man, listen, friend. We ought to come in here fired up, stirred up, ready to give honor and glory unto the great I am that I am that gave all for you and I. We didn't deserve anything, but we needed, we needed lots of things. We needed lots of things. So when Jesus was crucified, preacher, what happened? I've got four points. I'm not going to spend much time on any of them. I, I think, listen, all I'd have to do really is read my points. I think, I think we know enough about it to understand what it is, but I'm still going to uh, spend a moment or two uh, exhorting and maybe reading a few scriptures as we see what the crucifixion 
of Jesus was. First of all, and listen to this. First of all, a son died. A son died. You know, that's what crucifixion is about. It's about death. But isn't it amazing? God, listen, I, I love this statement. I love this phrase. At Calvary, brought, God brought death to death. Isn't that amazing? What a paradox. Only God can do something like that. God brought death to death through the death of his son. And by the way, let me tell you who Jesus was. He was God's only begotten son. His unique, one-of-a-kind son who was born in a unique way, lived in a unique way, died in a unique way, was buried in a unique way. He got up out from among the dead in a unique way. He was God's only begotten son. Never doubt who he was. Some people say, well, Jesus never said that he was God. Read the Gospels. Read the Gospels. He didn't come out and say, now look, I am, uh, he said, I am Jehovah, but he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. I am the bread. I am the water of life. I am the light of the world. Hey, listen, friend, I am he that Abraham spoke of. He didn't come out the words they asked him, but in so many ways, he spoke and proved that he was God manifest in the flesh. The very God that was with God in the beginning, according to John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And if you wonder who he's referring to, John goes on and, and comments on verse 1 and verse 14 of chapter 1. He said, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Listen, that Word of God was the only begotten Son of God who was with God in the beginning. I'm going to blow your mind And what else I'm going to say. He was in the God, with God in the beginning beginning when there was no beginning that kind of stuff wears me out we got three beginnings in the Bible Genesis 1 and 1 first uh, John 1 and 1 and then John 1 and 1 we can figure two of those out but this one in John 1 and 1 in the beginning he said in the beginning and yet God has no beginning or end I didn't write it I just preached it and there's a lot of it I can't explain, but I believe it all. He was God's only begotten son. But wait just a minute. God can't die. God cannot die. You cannot crucify God. God has no body with which to pay for sin. He has no blood. But you know what the Bible said? God's only begotten Son became the, uh, the Son of a virgin by the name of Mary. And how wonderful it is that God gave us His Son through a virgin's womb so that He could die at Calvary and bring death to death and thereby bring life to sinners like me and you. I don't understand that. Listen to what He said. Go Go with me. Am I, am I, I may be getting ahead of myself, and I am, so, so I'll just wait. But listen, what do we have at Calvary? When Jesus was crucified, what happened? A son died. Now, if I leave him here, I, that, shame on me. So let me tell you something. I'm not going to preach a resurrection any more than this. Hey, listen, he died. You see, the wages of sin is death. Jesus never sinned to sin. 
but yet he died. You say, why? Because he became my substitute and your substitute. In other words, he took my place. I'll never forget my favorite illustration about substitution. Y'all heard it just acts like it's the first time. Never forget when I was in high school. Maybe it was in junior high school. I, you know, I was playing basketball. I wasn't a real good basketball player. I had the ugliest shot you ever saw in your life. I learned to play basketball with Doug and all the other boys about four years older than me. And I'd throw that ball from behind my head. It was awful. I didn't shoot out front. I shot from behind. But when I got hot, I'd be like anybody else. I could make a few on occasion. Pretty good defensive player. Whenever we're forgetting, the coach wanted me. I thought, man, he, he's going to brag on me. He took me out and put somebody else in my place because I'd messed up. That's what God did for me and you. We messed up. We're sinners. And we need to be saved. The only way we can do it by grace. And he sent his only begotten son as a gift to all of us that deserve nothing. Amen. So let me go on. Number two, second point. Number two, when we see when, we, when Jesus was crucified, we not only see a son that died, but we see a servant that submitted. Boy, I like that. A servant that submitted. You know what? I believe Jesus willingly came. I, I believe in the beginning, uh, or before the beginning of this world, before the mud seals of the world were laid down, before he created Adam and Eve, before he put him in the Garden of Eden, before he cautioned and said, don't eat of that one tree that's in the midst of the garden. From the day you eat thereof, you'll surely die. Before God created man, he knew that he'd have to redeem man. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost got together in, 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 a, in an executive meeting, if you will. And you know what they did? They decided on a plan of salvation. They knew that if they were to breathe in man's nostrils the breath of life for him to become a living soul, they would have to give blood to redeem them. And you know the blood they gave? They gave the blood of Jesus. You know what God said? Here's her plan. And Jesus said, I'll carry it out. Just to simplify that, Jesus said, I'll go and die. Uh, God said, listen, I'll give. Uh, uh, God the Son said, I'll go. And God the Holy Spirit says, I'll make it real. Thank God, I'll tell you what, friend, listen. They were all in concert. They were all in agreement. And one day, and one day, he came. And you know how the Word of God tells us that he came? He came as the suffering servant. Now look at this. Boy, I could preach right here for a flat-out hour and never draw a long breath, I believe. But if you'd have been God, and you'd been sending your unique, one-of-a-kind sons into this world, where do you think you'd have had him birthed? Now, if we were God, we'd do it the same way God did. But I'm just thinking kind of as a man. Do y'all know where the wise men from the east came to seek him that was born king of the Jews? They came to the most logical place that they could have imagined. They would have never imagined a stable. Never imagined, friend, a little humble abode uh, where there were lambs and sheep and, and cows and oxen and goats and all of the things that Jesus was there to be in the flesh. You know where they did? They went and knocked on the palace of old Herod that was supposedly king of the Jews. That makes total sense to me. But God does uh, things a little differently. He sent his servant son into this world, birthed him through the wife, espoused wife of a man by the name of Joseph 
who was a carpenter of the most mean city there was in that nation, the city of Nazareth. Y'all do remember what one of the men asked in, in, in John chapter 1. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? You know what I want to say? What the Word of God says, come and see. Hey, man, heaven came through Nazareth, bless the Lord. Yeah, something good come through Nazareth. Your Savior, sinner friend, if you'll trust Him. When Jesus was crucified, a son died, and a servant was submitted. Go to the book of Isaiah with me, if you don't mind, chapter 52. And we're going to look on in into chapter 53 a little bit. But I, I, I want to back up in chapter 52 and begin at verse 13. You say, why? Because they go together. I'm thankful for chapter breaks in our Bible. See, I just told you all Isaiah 52, and look how quickly you found it. Isn't that good? We can all get to the same place. So I'm thankful for chapter divisions. They're a blessing. But sometimes, let's be honest, they may, it seems like, maybe not be in the most perfect place. That, that Look, chapter breaks are not inspired by God. Have I heard me say that? Say amen. I believe that God moved on a man's heart to divide it up, give chapter and verse, all that, but they're not inspired like the Word of God was. So look, here's where we got to start, verse 13. He said, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently, he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Now I'm going to read a few more verses. The servant here, listen now. The Jewish world says in these days, they didn't always believe this. At one time in their history, their rabbis, their teaching, they believed that it was about the Messiah, the suffering Son of God. Today they, they say that it is the nation. This isn't a writing about a nation. It's a writing about an individual. And that individual is the servant of Jehovah who is the Son of God. Manifest in the flesh. Look what he goes on to say. As many, as, as many were astonished at thee, his vestige was so marred more than any man in his form, more than the sons of men. You know what that means? Now listen, pay attention to the context. I hear people say that, uh, that, that Jesus wasn't very attractive. I'm going to disagree with you. I believe that he was the last Adam. If y'all agree with that, say amen. I believe when God created the first Adam, he made him perfect. I don't even believe he had pimples. You hear me? I believe when the second Adam came by, I believe he was a goodly looking man. He was a handsome man. I believe there was something about him that, that, that would catch your eye. Now he went out of the ordinary like a, like a, I don't even know who, I don't know many famous people. But I'll tell you what, I believe he was handsome. I don't believe he was ugly. You hear me? This, when it says his visage was more marred than any man, it's the context that we've got to understand. When he became, when he became a sacrifice for my sin and your sin, when, when we find him at Calvary suffering sinlessly for the sinner. Y'all understand that? I'm going to go on and read. He said, so, he said, so shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Look at verse 2. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root of dry ground, and he hath no form nor comeliness. When we shall see him, there is no beauty that we desire him. Listen, on the day of his crucifixion. 
having been gone through the pavement, having been struck in Caiaphas' house, having been beaten and maligned and bruised and spat upon and scourged under Pilate by the Roman soldiers. Listen, friend, he hardly looked like a man. So we got to understand this in the context of which we find it. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our face from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. I'm afraid I'm guilty of looking at the cross so glibly. But can I tell you, friend, it was a gory sight. It was something that I'm glad that I have never viewed. I have read doctors' opinions on what the cross did to people. I've read the ideas of theologians. And to be honest with you, when they begin to try to describe the gory detail, I get so sick in my stomach I have to look away. I don't know where I could stand looking at that kind of suffering. And I never want to miss seeing what Jesus did. Hey, listen. I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. And yet a man by the name of Jesus, who was the only begotten Son of God, a virgin-born Son of Mary, took my place as the suffering servant of Jehovah. I never want to forget that. Now, I'm going to say something that may upset some of you. I've said it before. Every time I've said it, it upsets somebody. You've got your convictions. I've got mine. I don't like a crucifix. Christ isn't on the cross. And people come up to me and say, well, I just do it as a reminder to remind me that Jesus died. Well, look, why don't you carry around an empty tomb, a picture of an empty sepulcher? That would be more true to real. Yeah, he died for us, but he rose. He's not dead. I understand the idea of the cross and all that, but I just don't like to leave him on the cross. It's my convictions. She had borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of our peace was upon him. And I'm not going to read on to look at the last verse, verse 12. He said, he said, and, and in the latter part of verse 12, and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sins of many. I marvel at that. Listen, if you come today lost, You're not one of the many, or you are one of the many, if you'll trust Him as your Savior. Now, why didn't that say He bore the sins of everybody? Well, if I was a Reformed theologian or a hyper-Calvinist, I'd say because He only died with a limited atonement for a certain amount of people that He chose before the world began. But you know what? The many here refers to those, only those who will receive Christ as their Savior. You see, I can prove to you in the Word of God and other places that Jesus, when He died, He died for all men. Whosoever wills. His blood was sufficient to save every man, woman, boy, and girl. But it's only for the many that will, res- that will see themselves lost and by faith receive Christ as their Savior. Go with me really, really quickly to Hebrews chapter 10. And- let me bear out what I was going to say a while ago about his body, and I'll move on. Chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews, beginning at verse 5. He said, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, 
He saith, sacrifice and offering, that what is not, but a body thou hast prepared. Remember I told you a while ago, God couldn't die, but man could, and he did. Jesus died at Calvary. Everybody understands that, say amen. They buried him. You say, you remember I asked Debbie one day, Debbie, why did they bury Jesus? She said, well, I don't know. I said, well, he's dead. That's why. That's important. He didn't swoon on Calvary. He, he hadn't taken drugs and become a, a, in a stupefied state. He was dead. When Pilate knew that he was dead, the centurion had a soldier to pierce his side, and from his side forthwith came blood and water. He was dead. That's so important to emphasize. He goes on to tell us in verse 6, Burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, this is talking about Jesus, Slow I come on the volume of thy book. It is written of me, O Lord, to do thy will. Can you hear the servant speaking to his master in this? Above when he says sacrifice and offerings that, and, and uh, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hast thou pleasure in them which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come. Do thy will, O God. Jesus was, he was a servant who submitted. When Jesus was crucified, a son died, a servant, a servant submitted, and a Savior was identified. Do you know what I mean, identified? Well, he was made known. He was verified. Listen to what he said in, in John chapter 8 and 28. I love this. You all can quote it. I can quote it. It's a very, very familiar pieces of, piece of Scripture. But look what he said in verse 28 of John. He said, Then Jesus said unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then ye shall know that I am He. Thank God. There, look, he said a lot of things. When he walked the shores of Galilee, the streets of Jerusalem, the hills of Judea, the plains of Samaria, the, 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 uh, the sides of Jordan. I mean, he said many, many things. But you know what? One Calvary, friend, listen, there was once and for all a proclamation made about him that he is the Savior. You know, he came into the world, the Savior. Before he was born, Gabriel visited Joseph, Matthew 1 and 21, and said, look, that, that, that child that's in your wife's womb is conceived of the Holy Ghost. He's going to be Emmanuel, which means God among us. And when he was born, here's what you're going to call him. You're going to call him Jesus. And here's why. Because he'll save his people. Not in, but from their sins. Newsflash. You can't get saved and go on sinning in your own sins like you did before you were saved. That's good preaching right there. You won't be perfect. You will sin. You'll, you'll miss the mark. But you won't make sin a lifestyle. You won't make it a practice. And you certainly won't enjoy it like you used to before you got saved. Listen to what he said in John 12. I don't have time to read as much as I'd like. Jesus had already come in into Jerusalem. 
And uh, some of the Greeks came and said, Sirs, we would see Jesus. Look at where Jesus pointed them to. I don't know that he gave them an audience, but they got the message. This is what he said in verse 23 and following. The hour has come that the Son of Man must or should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat um, fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. You know what Jesus was saying to the Greeks, to, to, uh, to Andrew and Peter and anybody else that's there? He was saying, except you see me in my death, my burial, and my resurrection, you've never seen. Oh, wait just a minute, Lord, we saw you We saw you on the Mount of Transfiguration, except you see me in my death burial. Wait just a minute, Lord, we saw you feeding 5,000, saw you walking on the water, saw you raising the dead, healing the blind, doing all of those things, even confronting the religious elites of that day, Jesus said, except you see me in my death, my burial, my resurrection. You've not seen me? He said, now look at what he said in verse 27, and I'll move on. Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. What's the next word? But for this cause came unto this hour. Far from him asking him to remove him, he said, Father, glorify thy son. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have glorified it and will glorify it. Meaning again, what do we find at Calvary? A son that died, a servant that submitted, a Savior that was identified. And finally, and the last thought, we've got a sovereign magnified. Y'all know what a lot of people look at Jesus and say, man, he was a victim. Turn back to chapter 14 of the book of, of Mark. Will you just a page away from where we started, and I want to read something to you that's a parallel passage to what Matthew records in chapter 26. And I, I love it when the Word of God does that, when it, when it says the same thing in two different places. A lot of people look and think that Jesus was the victim. But may I submit to you, as you already know, He was ever the victor. <laughs> he was never out of control. I mean, I could give you instance after instance. I'm only going to mention two. Kevin talked about the, uh, the, the water-walking faith. I believe Jesus is having one of the best times in his fleshly uh, experience after that he had prayed to the Father, after he had performed a great miracle, maybe the greatest that he performed, because it's the only miracle that all four writers uh, record, the feeding of the 5,000. When he was walking on those white caps on the Galilee, I have wondered time and again how he was doing. Was he skipping like a little girl? Not that he was like they're trying to say in these days. His effeminate side was going out. God help us. Meaning was he just having a good time on a part of what he had created? He was never under the storms. He was always in control of the storms. Maybe when he came into Jerusalem, it's the most obvious time when he was in control. When he had told two of his apostles, y'all go over here in this little place and you'll find a man ready to give me a, a donkey. I'm getting ready to come in as the king. 
just like Daniel prophesied 483 years to the day before it happened. Amazing what God does. Amazing what truths are in this book. And on Palm Sunday as we refer to it, a lot of people call it his triumphant entry. I think that's yet to happen myself. I think that'll happen in John 19. But listen, let me tell you what's the truth. It was his sovereign entrance. Jesus was never more kingly than he was on that day. He was born a king. He lived a king. He died a king. He's coming a king. He is, glory to God, he is the king of kings and lord of lords. You think about that donkey, that, that, that unbroken donkey. Listen, you know what it did? It submitted to Jesus. That donkey's a picture of us. I need to preach on donkeys for, for, for Easter. Pray that I will. There's a great message. Y'all know we are. You ever hear, you ever hear anybody say, well, he's, he, he is as stubborn as a mule. There's a reason for that. Mules are likened unto men in the Word of God. Lord, help me, help, let me preach on that, would you? And you know what that mule did? It submitted to him. Never tried to buck him off. Just simply carried him. Lifted him up and carried him. You know what they did when, when Jesus came into that city that he had chosen from which his name to be made known in all the world? They cried, Hosanna! Save us! Why were they crying? He was the Savior. I've done told you that. Oh, all of these points demand a whole message on their own. But you know what? Listen, he was the sovereign. And kings rode mules. I don't know what color it was, but if I had to guess, I'd say it was white as white could be. Kings rode those. You say, how do you get that? Look over Revelation 19, see what color of beast he's going to be riding on when he comes back. White. Isn't that what the book says? He was sovereign. He was so in control. That they said, look, will you get them to be quiet? Jesus said, if I did, the stones would cry out. <laughs> Isn't that, I'd like to have heard that, wouldn't you? Hey, man, y'all know rocks have memories? According to the Word of God, don't they testify? Isn't that what the book said? Didn't they set up stones as memorials? When men forget, stones remember. I don't understand that, but I didn't create them. I'm just telling you what this book says. Isn't that amazing? He wrote in. He wrote in kingly. Come on, Judy. When Christ was crucified, what happened? I wish I could count the number of prophecies that were fulfilled on that day. I've never tried to do it yet. I don't know that I could successfully get them all, but I think that's a challenge I'm going to pick up. I would like to know. But Jesus said, for this cause, for this hour, came I into this world. Now let me make this a little more personal. The Bible says in the book of Romans 3.23, the wages of sin is death. But I can show you in the Word of God that Jesus knew no sin, had no sin, did no sin. I'll give you the chapter and verse for all of those. I can show you in two different accounts of the gospel 
that Jesus was tempted, maybe three. Now to think about it, three, three of the writers recorded that he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights and then by Satan himself. And he wasn't tempted to see whether or not he could sin. He was tempted to prove that he couldn't. See, Jesus had no sin nature about him. Now, hold on, I'm going somewhere with this. But the wages of sin is death, and Jesus died, the Bible said. I've told you that he died. You say, well, if he didn't sin, why did he die? Here's why. Because it became my sin and your sin. The Bible tells us in the book of 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, He that knew no sin became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Isaiah 53, 6. I didn't read it when I read it when I was in Isaiah 52, 53 a while ago, but it says, All we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord, meaning God, has laid upon him, meaning Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. He became my substitute. He said, God, I'll die so Tom won't have to. And you know what he did? The Bible says that Jesus, knowing that all things were fulfilled, he said, I thirst. They put, a, they put a little bit of hyssop down in some sour wine. They call it vinegar in the Bible. It was cheap wine that the soldiers would drink. It was a common drink. He tasted of it. And the Bible tells us that he cried, It is finished. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he bowed his head and died. He cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? One of the deepest statements in all the Word of God, I think. Do you know why he did it? He did it for me and you. You see, he suffered our hell. He suffered our separation from God. And you say, how could he do that? Well, listen, let me tell you this, and I'm gonna, then I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing. There's only two ways for me and you to pay for our sin. Either somebody that is finite, and that is us, will have to die for an infinite, infinite amount of time paying for our sins, and yet we'll never get our sins paid for because we'll forever die without paying for them, or else somebody that is infinite will have to die for a finite amount of time and pay for them. That's what happened. When Jesus died, He died for me and you. That'll put our trust in Him. Ever head bad, nobody looking around. I don't know how you came this morning. I think I know most of you, but listen, I don't know your heart. If you don't know Jesus, we're getting ready to come up on one of the two greatest seasons that the church rejoices in in the year I think it's greater in many ways than uh, Christmas but they're not in competition one to another it's just my opinion Jesus accomplished the work that God sent him to do the Bible tells us to commemorate his resurrection not his birth but we do both and I don't think God's displeased but have you ever trusted him as your savior is the question he died potentially sir ma'am for every man, woman, boy, or girl that is living, has lived, or ever will live. And listen, the only question that's imperative for you to answer today, are you willing to accept Him as your Savior? You see, it's up to you to decide. Nobody else can do that. 
And I don't think it's an accident if you're here lost. Matter of fact, I think you're here by divine fiat. Will you say, well, uh, my, my daughter asked me, my, my, my son asked me, my, my, my uh, mom and dad asked me, my wife asked me, my husband. I, listen, I'm glad somebody did, but I'm going to tell you something. I believe you're here again by, God, by divine fiat. I believe God ordered it. You can be saved if you'll just simply realize that you're lost and be willing to repent of your sin and by faith receive Christ as your Savior. I'm going to the Lord in prayer.